Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am Len. I am your host for this week, um, and I am joined today slash tonight as we uh, broadcast across the ocean uh, with uh, PC Gamers Fraser Brown. Hello. With our good friend Rowan Kaiser. Good morning. And with our, you know, pretty good friend John Bolding. The shockingly obese. I was going to introduce everybody as one of the chaos gods, but I couldn't figure out who to make Nurgle. It's like, yeah, I don't want to put that on anybody. I mean, <laughs> earlier, like, I mean earlier night, Fraser admitted diarrhea. Yeah, I could be the owner of Nurgle. <laughs> like, so yeah, living in a town where his primary issue is that no one will clean up the dog shit all over the pavement. So it's definitely Fraser. <laughs> yeah, this is not this uh, is not complicated. Uh, yeah, I mean, a good portion of that dog shit is Cosmo's fault. Yeah. <laughs> Rowan was obviously going to be the changer of ways, um, because at least in my life, that's a that's a resident title. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and uh, I can fly. Yeah, and and and, uh, and and John is the you know the prince of pleasure, of course. So. You are absolutely. <laughs> right. I've always said that about John. God of sex, <laughs> drugs, well, and rock and roll. Well, it's uh, it's been a while since all four of us made it onto one recording, um, but we are we're all here to talk about Total War Warhammer Three. Um, it's kind of a big deal. Maybe you've heard about it. Um, but let's just start with uh, since we've all played, I think a fair bit of Warhammer One and Two. Um, I think we all reviewed it. Did John? Did you review I it? Oh, I I was blessed. I did not review it. Oh, okay. and it was it ruled. I just played the crap out of it for like a week and a half. <laughs> nice. And I didn't yeah. write anything afterwards. There you go. It was you like gotta, being a normal keep, person. You got to keep one for yourself. That's what I'm doing with Elden Ring. It's like I just decided I'm not going to write about it. I'm just going to play it for myself. Um, and then yeah. two two days later, we get a fifty tweet thread. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and where with with the links to intricate Reddit <laughs> posts. <laughs> See, this um, is why I do review things, so nobody has to deal with my Twitter threads. <laughs> Fair enough. That's also valid. Um, let's start with uh, Rowan. What is different about Total War Warhammer Three uh, versus the previous games in the series? Ogres. Yes, ogres are amazing. Guts <laughs> out, boys. I I don't know if there's any other difference. It's pretty much the same thing, other than that. All right. Uh, well, while we're done here, it's <laughs> yeah. uh, ogres. Uh, Okay, well, the focus of the map is roughly dark fantasy equivalent of Eurasia. Uh, we're going from Germany to Western China um, with lots of room to expand. There's there's spaces for India and Japan and uh, maybe even going north across into the Arctic uh, and Canada. But these things are all things we could talk about at some point. Um, this also means that... Creative Assembly and Games Workshop have worked on getting some different human factions in there. Uh, they have fake China, which is Cathay, and they have fake Russia, which is Kislev. Kislev has some some antecedent in the previous books, but Cathay is new because it uh, basically was super racist beforehand, and there was virtually <laughs> nothing, and now there is something that's... Uh, it's only racist in the way that all the other things are like, you know stereotypes of their existence but you it's know, a respectful set of stereotypes you know, technically it's a little less racist because they're actually human beings 
Right, right. I yeah. mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> compared nice. to the Empire and Bretonia, I don't mean compared to the the beast races, which is uh, an issue. Um, the uh, so we have the ogres, and then the two human factions, and then there's also five demon factions, which are uh, four for each of the chaos gods, and one for the protagonist of the story, the demon prince, who can like basically pick and choose from each of those, and uh, the demon factions have been sort of like hovering over the whole Total Warhammer experience since it got released, and it was unclear exactly how they were going to do it, and they went all in and had four completely different factions with their gods, and uh, it's it's pretty neat to finally get all those all those villains added to the Total Warhammer experience. And finally, uh, the big thing that we're probably going to talk about a lot is that the campaign is uh very very narrative focused and specifically involves like traveling to and from the realms of chaos and uh yeah we'll 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 get into those that in detail soon yeah so i wanted to ask because john i think you're more plugged into the tabletop world uh than some of us are um the fact that they added cathay seemed like it like nobody was expecting it and everybody just like kind of went ballistic when this announcement was made. Accurate. Uh, I'm curious if like, has anything like this ever happened before? And like, how big of a deal is it that, you know, Games Workshop is is doing this? And is from what I understand, they're also going to make a miniatures line based on Cathayna. Yeah, it it is a pretty big deal because Games Workshop has always seen itself as the arbiter of what content gets created for the Warhammer worlds, they're very, very protective of it, and they only very sparingly let new things be introduced um, that they didn't already, you know, tease or, or have in the back of their heads for years. And it's absolutely unprecedented because the the this the Warhammer fantasy setting, the old world setting, is is dead for Games Workshop right now. They they don't make a game based on this right now at all. It is being resurrected, though. It's, it's been in the works to be resurrected for four years now, right? But we haven't seen mm-hmm. anything. And so I think that Creative Assembly having the worthwhile pull to be able to say to Games Workshop, hey, we want to do this, and then Games Workshop says okay and tasks their narrative team and design teams with making material for a video game for a setting they they technically don't even support anymore um it's pretty hardcore i mean it, it's it must be a sign of how successful these games have been for games workshop taking whatever cut of the revenue they do uh that yeah. they're willing to to get around to that and it's been seen as a really positive sign i think that games workshop is finally sort of willing to catch up and start to pick up some of these pieces that they've left lying around and unused mm-hmm. narrative threads and stories for over for decades in some cases, like Cathay and like Kislev. So it's big it's big doings, but nothing has directly come out of it yet. Yeah, they've sort of done remix factions before. We had Norska at the very end of Total Warhammer One right. and the Vampire Coast. But like uh, uh the Vampire uh, like, Yeah, the Vampire Coast stuff was very, very interesting and a lot of it new and a lot of it came out of like books and blurbs yeah as opposed to Cathay which is just like oh yeah it's a far off land of mystery and that was most of what we knew right like we 
we knew that the Skaven went there and discovered ninjas and then came back, right? Like that's <laughs> that's what we know about uh, the lands to the east. And there were there were extremely weird Orientalist role playing game supplements from the eighties and nineties that talked about like the faraway lands, but there's just never really the sort of mass battle focused society stuff with giant armies about these eastern countries prior and shape to shift in dragons. Yeah, like we until until the creation of Total War Warhammer three, we didn't even know if the Dragon Emperor of Cathay was literally a dragon or not. <laughs> like we didn't know if that was a title or he was like, no, it's a dragon. It turns out yes, he is in fact a dragon and also so are all of his children. And they're Which very rules. cool. Yeah. Um Yeah, uh I, I like I like the dragons uh quite a bit. I like I like Cathay as a faction as they, they panned out um quite a bit. Uh before we get into like kind of the details of the individual factions and how they work, um I did want to hit up the sort of the structure of the campaign, which um begins in a very interesting way that like really no other Total War game has before. Um, Fraser, I know you and I both kind of really enjoyed this with like Yuri in in the very beginning. Yeah, the prologue was right, uh, yeah. it was surprisingly <laughs> good. Um, I mean, I would always play it, it's because it's more than it's more than just a tutorial. You know, it's an it's an, serves a narrative purpose, and the game encourages you to play it. So there is never any doubt that I would. Um, but I didn't think I would dig it quite as much it really sets the scene for the the full campaign and obviously establishes that this is a total war with a protagonist um a very arthas like protagonist yeah. which and there's no complaints for me that's one of my favorite video game stories so i'm well up for creative assembly pinching it a little bit uh and yeah it it, for me the, the moment i finished that prologue i knew i was going to play the the demons of chaos and get my hands on this uh, this customizable demon prince. But starting it off as a human and seeing his fall, rather than just having it as a cutscene, uh, which is what I expected we would get, was uh, a very nice treat. It's also like a good tutorial as well. It's a I should really add. good. Like, like I, <laughs> I want to get impressions from someone who has never played Total War before, because it seems like the best tutorial they've ever created for someone who's like. I've, I have no idea what the series is about. Just teach me how to play. Like, it really does go through all of the little stuff that I think as strategy gamers we take for granted and teaches you about it, which I... Uh, yeah, our magazine here. editor, uh, Robin, I th he's played, like, Total War and stuff before, but I don't think he's really ever gotten into it or, or Total War Warhammer, and so the tutorial was very helpful for him, and he... Yeah, he was really surprised by how effective it was, not just as uh, a narrative thing, but as a, an actual tool for learning the ins and outs of what is quite a, a weird, unusual, and, and sometimes complicated game. I, I'm going to provide a skeptical voice here and just say that I found the tutorial prologue campaign to be a pretty bad slog uh it was oh, about yeah? twice as long as it needed to be and it just was like move forward do too many battles move forward do too many battles like i can't speak to the tutorialization because obviously i'm an expert uh at, at it's like three battles total war something. games <laughs> no there's like there's like 15 there really you are can like skip you can skip yeah, you know most you can, of those though you can just yeah. go around all the demon shit 
and just get to the end. But since I when mean, has Rowan skipped content? <laughs> right. This is. I don't know if you're being sarcastic or not, but I was not I being feel, sarcastic. I I feel compelled to to take it on its own terms, and I found on its own terms it was about twice as long as it needed to be for me as a narrative vehicle. I um as a as a tutorial, obviously I can't speak to that, but yeah, I just a complete slog. I really wanted it to have the like checkbox at the beginning that was like i've played every total war game you ever made please please whoop my ass in this tutorial rather than make me tutorialize right also don't make me wait three battles before you'll let me use the group army command right they had that turned off there's sort of fundamental like (laughs) stuff i just like i I wanted to play it in the non-tutorial version but ultimately that is a pretty small price to pay because it doesn't actually take that long to complete it though it it I agree with Rowan. It's longer than it needs to be. Yeah. It's a lot briefer than the uh, the Rome 2 prologue, you know, which is you're right. much longer. I take back everything I just said. <laughs> it's like a oh, five-hour campaign. Because I enjoyed this that. prologue. Well, here's, here, better than Rome 2 is the absolute <laughs> lowest bar we need for a total war. Um, oh, no more defending grain stores for us. We're a real army now. What was yeah? Uh, I think I played that mission like five times because I was trying to record it for a preview or something, and it kept crashing constantly because the build at that point was so unstable that I have like some of those cutscenes memorized. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I like I kind of like the idea of like we're gonna focus in on this really specific character who's going through a very specific set of experiences. Uh, a comment I read about it that I kind of agreed with is that I like how it makes you feel like you're kind of exploring like these, you know, chaos wastelands in a way that the normal campaign kind of can't because it's like, oh, where's the chaos waste? Well, they're over there and they're like two provinces wide. And all right, we tagged the top of the map and uh, we're done. Whereas something like this, where you're progressing through sort of the unknown for kind of a longer sort of discrete story with like these pauses for like voice acting and scripted moments, I think could work really well backed up by the mechanics of total war as sort of like the, the conflict resolution. Um, Congratulations. You just invented the total war baby mode or whatever they call those little campaigns. Kind of. Um, and it seems like with with Eye of the Vortex and now with Realms of Chaos, uh, which is the Warhammer 3 main campaign, they're trying to f- strike a middle ground between the two. And for me, I'm not sure if that works. Um, I would say Realms of Chaos is is more story driven even than than Vortex was. And I think that that kind of leads to this. um this thing where it's it's good for like one or two playthroughs and then i kind of felt like i'm done i don't know if uh i don't know if any of you got you know that deep into multiple campaigns to to get to the point where you felt like that but i definitely felt like by the time i had beaten it twice i had kind of seen what there was to see and picking up a third faction i was mostly interested in just playing maybe the first 20 or 25 turns to see what their new mechanics were like. And, and then I was like, I'm, I'm uh, going to wait. Let, for- let, let's talk about why this is. Yeah. So what, what the campaign structure actually is, is that every, every couple dozen turns, you get a warning that the, the dying bear God is going to roar 
Uh, and then he does and opens a whole bunch of chaos gates, which are things on the map that you can go to. You take your legendary lord is a person who can go through the chaos gate and go into the realms of chaos. Everyone else has to defend against uh, the demon armies that come out of them uh, and the corruption that gets triggered. Uh, and um, when you go when you go into the realms of chaos, you go and do little quests for each of the four chaos gods. Um, like Nurgle has major attrition because he's the god of disease. Uh, Cinch has like these portals that you have to go through, and it's kind of a maze because he's a clever, weird god. And Slanesh tries to tempt you, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then they end with these big scripted battles where you like move forward a little bit, then defend against a horde mode for a moment, then move forward a bit more. Uh, and they, uh, we could talk about the settlement stuff later, but they all have kind of the same layout except for Sedge, and they all have the same ending battle. So you have. You know, this feeling of repetition of going through, if you're going to do more than one game, um, that I think is is just going to happen playing Total War Warhammer 3 and how you deal with that could be doing auto battles, could be going back to other campaigns, waiting for the Immortal Empires, whatever. But it is it is a very narrative kind of switch, probably the most narrative campaign they've ever done. And that that has some pretty severe cons alongside uh, some neat little pros. Yeah, how did you uh, how did you end up feeling about the structure of the campaign, John? I enjoyed it, though. I think that for all that I enjoyed them, I I don't think I'm going to enjoy them nearly as much the second time around. I think I'm going to feel compelled to find a way to min-max them to do them mm -hmm. as quickly as inefficiently as possible um i find it a little irritating because it feels like being forced to play quest battles again like you already know the trick you know what's going to happen but you have to play through it and the difference is that quest battles are different every time you start a new campaign with a different legendary lord whereas these are the same every time that said they are really fun the first time you do them. And depending on what your army is, they can be very different. Like, playing it oh, with yeah. ogres yeah. versus doing them with, like, uh, a Slaneshi army or whatever, right? Where literally no one is wearing a shirt and they all have <laughs> armor 5 instead of 90 or what have you. This is a very different experience. Yeah, uh, the, the Zinch one was absolutely, like, infuriating to me. Um, because they take this very ranged heavy roster and they give you all of these capture points that are like down in a valley where you can just be surrounded and shot at <laughs> like at, from like, every direction of, at all times forever. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I didn't have as much trouble with the other ones. I thought the last battle, which I won't spoil, was was actually very cool. Um, that was that was a fun. Not as complicated as some of the other ones geographically, but I, I found that one a, a lot of fun. Um Yeah, uh what about you, Fraser? Do you think do you think this is something you'll come back to, or do you think it's more of a it's sort of like 
yeah, the vortex where like nobody really touched it. Uh, yeah, so I yeah I I played two full campaigns uh, before I reviewed it, and both mm-hmm. times I really had uh, a fantastic time with the campaign, and I'm always going to appreciate a sort of weird experimental campaign anyway. So I think I was very much the target audience for something like this. The the narrative tricks, the fact that you've got a protagonist, the jumping into different realities and doing these very specific challenges, but it absolutely does have diminishing returns. It's not quite the sandbox. You know, it's it's half a sandbox. You've got the sandbox is still there in the mortal realms. Uh, and once you actually finish the Realm of Chaos campaign, it becomes a domination campaign where you just go around conquering the mortal realms. And that's if you get all four demon souls and then go and beat the shit out of Belcor and then finish the Realm of Chaos campaign and you don't have any sort of bumps in the road, you can do that in like, what, 110, 120, 130 turns, something like that. And then the rest of it is more of a, a conventional sandbox where you just get to play around with these awesome factions at the kind of at the peak of their power as well right, so like yeah. everyone's quite beefy and you've got all the top tier units and you're going against other factions with the same like level of technology uh it's really cool so it's worth i think going through those first 100 or so turns again to get to that and i think by the time most people who are not say reviewing it for a deadline finish enough campaigns maybe Two, maybe three campaigns that they might get a bit bored i have a feeling that we'll have uh mortal empires or immortal empires whatever it ends up being called a very uh, large campaign yeah we will have uh, a huge campaign and people will be happy again and dive into that i don't think we need to have campaigns that are incredibly replayable and like you can play them 10 times and it'll be really different every time there's room for campaigns like that, but there's rooms for also quite maybe a little bit more linear, a little bit more structured stuff as well. And I think this shows that we can have our cake and eat it too, because if Mortal Empires is as good as Mortal Empires was in the last one, and it's been, hopefully it'll be better, uh, then we're in for a treat. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. I, in many ways, my complaint is just whining that I have eaten the cake and I would like more cake to also eat. I want a bigger cake that's a combination of all the previous cakes that I've ever eaten. Yeah, uh, I, I no, and, unironically and want it, that. And it's a perfectly balanced cake that manages to, uh, you know, have no. the right amount of... No, I don't no. want the cake to be balanced. In fact, that's one of my favorite want... things about this game right now. Warhammer yes! 3 is fucking busted. Some of the John, factions are terrible, and some of the factions are amazing. And it's great. Yeah. I, I just, I love that. I feel like you're coming at this from a Warhammer player like myself. Exactly. God, in the, like, in, like the tabletop game is constantly like, everyone is always angry with something in the tabletop game. And I love it. And I, cause I just don't give a shit about balance. I'm not really playing competitively. Order playing Tide. Order Tide and- is so annoying. Come the fuck on. Like, this is no. this has been a problem with the Mortal Empires in, campaign for like literal. Literal decades, all you do is fight dwarfs and humans and elves over and over and over. It's like any orc is immediately killed. There's an instant orc genocide. Yeah, I just, uh, I played so a green skin campaign not that long ago, and that was not an issue. Uh, so yeah, I think, 
the nature of these campaigns is sometimes those imbalances can steam turn into this big very messy steamroll where everyone gets fucked up and nobody has a fun game well i have not encountered those and i played a lot of mortal empires I, campaigns i definitely I, I have played a lot of them and i have encountered them every fucking time that 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 campaign has always been a promise and it's a really exciting promise and it is the way that i would like to play the game but it has never fully worked i actually went back for fraser and played a vortex campaign um and why oh, holy shit because <laughs> why i wanted play a vortex campaign <laughs> because i wanted to see if my memories of how they worked were, were still accurate because i haven't played since pre-review and holy shit that's so well tuned everything all the all the decisions seem to work right all the all the enemies come at you in like appropriate amounts um i i was shocked and i think that we were all we were all wrong not to go back to the vortex regularly I, I have, and that includes I, myself i played um, as the the big gobbo king did another vortex campaign it was really good fun i've never had an issue with the vortex I, campaign i, I think it has more staying power than realm of chaos even though i think realm of chaos is a more interesting experimental campaign uh, like well, i like realm of chaos more but i don't think i'm gonna play it as much as i played vortex fraser is correct when, when, when i say when i say we had this issue i mean that specifically myself but everyone here seems to have agreed with me when i've said it but it's like as soon as I load up Total Warhammer 2, I have always clicked on Mortal Empires, even though I know how deeply flawed it is. That's like, that's the one I want. It's bigger. There's more stuff. Therefore, I want it. But uh, actually going back and playing Vortex made me realize that maybe maybe this is this is what I needed instead of what I wanted. Um, it, it, it really depends on, I, I feel, the, the lords that you're playing because... Yeah. And I think we might see this in the Realm of Chaos as well as we get more DLC, because what made me go back to the Vortex campaign was not to replay the Vortex campaign, because the actual Vortex part is kind of, you know, I did it a few times. I'm good. But um, is it Grom? Yeah, it's Grom the Punch. He does not have, he has his yeah, own a, completely a lot of the unique... expansion campaigns don't involve exactly. the Vortex at all. Um, yeah. I, think, I think all of them, in fact. I think the, the Tomb Lords and the... Them. And yeah, the two lords have the two lords is kind yeah, yeah they it's kind of similar it's very adjacent but with Grom the Punch and the wee elf lad that he's got a grudge against their campaigns are all about this grudge match between them and it's all dedicated to their hatred of each other and there's there's kind of this long horrible past they have uh, and it's really compelling I loved it I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much if it was just like here's a new faction for the vortex. Yeah, so so to take this back to Total Warhammer 3, um, there's a huge distinction that I would make between how the Vortex worked and how this campaign worked, and that's that you don't have a choice when the Chaos Gates appear. When you're playing the Vortex campaign, you like get to the point where you can trigger the next event, and you can say, okay, I feel like I'm in a safe enough place to deal with a bunch of Chaos invasions, or... You know, I'm going to wait a few turns, whereas in this, it's like the the chaos gates are just suddenly imposed upon you. And really, the only decision you have to make is, am I going to completely ignore this for this round, which maybe at higher difficulty levels, I think I'm, I'm going to have to. Um, yeah. Or am I going to to go into this and have to, like, you know, live without my best army for 
10 or 15 turns. And, and this yeah. is this ends up making it feel a lot more arbitrary. And I think that's that's a thing that uh, I already felt about the Vortex campaign. So if it's more arbitrary than that, then, you know, I just I just missed my Chaos Invasion for Total Warhammer <laughs> 1. I love that. I love that little guy, little Archeon. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know when they're coming, though. That's the thing about the the rifts, right? The chaos. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you know, know when they're coming, but that doesn't mean so, you like, can do thing, anything like, about now, it. Now you choose how to prepare for it. When you know they're coming every what thirty turns, then you're like, okay, then I, if I want to jump in straight well, away, this, which you this might gets not. into this gets into the second major issue that I have with it, and I think one that uh, will really keep keep being a problem the more times you play this campaign is that there are basically two parallel running campaigns. There's the Realm of Chaos campaign, and there's the main one. And if your difficulty level is off on one or the other, then it becomes a problem. So, like, my first game, I was playing as Cathaya on normal. And I think Cathay has a really easy time of keeping things together. Um, specifically, Meow Lamb. a really easy time of keeping things together. If you want your version of the Order Tide in... Warhammer yeah. 3's campaign, play a higher difficulty as anything but Cathay, and watch Cathay steamroll their way west. Uh, I had a friend who told stories of, you know, like six 20 stacks rolling out of Cathay into the mountains of Morn, just killing everything they saw. Yeah, and you know, that's that's how the Tibetans feel, so we're... we're... <laughs> Fair. Uh, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> ethnic cleansing aside, yeah. um, the... Uh, so what happened with what I was doing, and this is even my first game where I didn't really know what was going on and was a little confused and, uh, you know, trying to put all the pieces together, I managed to consolidate Cathay pretty quickly. But the first uh, the first realm that I went, Chaos Realm I went, to, went into was Nurgles, which has super high attrition. And early in the game, you have a lot fewer tools it's of dealing worst, with attrition. It's the worst one to go yeah. to first, for sure. It's the worst one to go to first, so I failed yeah. at it. So in my main campaign, I was continuing to progress to a point where I did not have significant pressure put on me from any external force until the chaos gates appeared. So it was just kind of a, I mean, I don't want to say this is like completely, completely dull. Like I was having some struggles trying to expand into the mountains. Uh, occasionally the chaos forces would break through one of the gates. Like there, there was some stuff to do. This was not launch Stellaris or anything like that but it was a thing where I felt completely safe up until the chaos gates appeared and was just kind of waiting for that because I knew that I was behind on those but I was ahead on everything else that I needed so if you're in any game where that division is really major then I think it's it's going to be a problem, and that is a problem that's inherent with this kind of dual-layer campaign. Um, it's still a really good example of a dual-layer campaign. Uh, I I have criticisms, but I think this is this is generally better than I expected at every level. It just also is. Uh, it it's got problems that are going to show up the more expert you become. Yeah, I think if you play as any other faction, you won't have that experience, especially the Demon Prince. Uh, right. He's I, just I, constantly surrounded by people who want to kill him and you can never make peace. 
Um, and and I, I started some Demon Prince campaigns and Kislev campaigns on hard, and then I actually had difficult decisions to make about should I go through this portal in the in the first right. round? Because when you're playing on hard in a Total Warhammer game, like those first 50 turns are really where the game is decided. If you can manage to survive and consolidate those, you're in pretty good shape for playing a full campaign. But uh, yeah, if 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 you're constantly struggling and you can't even get like control of one solid province, then you're going yeah. to really, really have trouble no matter how long you can play out the string. And so, yeah, the, the sort of the issues I have with it, um, the, some of it is stuff stuff you you guys already brought up but it's it's um one that early consolidation can be really rough especially on higher difficulties and especially as certain factions to the point that i think if you're playing on like hard or very hard campaign difficulty i don't i don't play a legendary that's like an entirely different game to me and it's not one that i'm particularly interested in um versus what i think of as total war uh because it becomes so much about optimization at that point but um yeah it can be really hard to consolidate i felt like 90 percent of the time when it's like the great bear roars i was like ah shit i wasn't like oh this is great i'm gonna get to go have an adventure in the realm of chaos i was like fuck i just needed to finish this war and now like uh then i'm gonna have to do this this race for the 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 demon soul or whatever um and also, like, it really discourages expansion, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can actually be a good thing because the the places that Chaos Rifts spawn are, I think they're, like, fixed. And if you grow your empire really large, you're going to have, like, seven, eight, nine of them that spawn in your territory where your armies might not be anywhere near it. Like, they might be off fighting in the Darklands or something. And suddenly you have like two chaos portals back by your like original capital, like as Scrag, it's like down in the bottom left of the map. Um, or you know, Cathay, it's it's like all the way on the, the top right part of the map, and you might be... then you just build a hero and, and close it. It's it's I, I feel I like that's that not out. a huge issue. I found yeah, that no, out today. <laughs> yeah, I saw you saying that. Yeah. Your life is um, suffering, friends. Yeah. It is not remotely like I don't know. If there's a tip for that, because uh -huh. I actually didn't know until no. I was speaking to someone else who was who was doing a guide, and I was like, "Fuck, really?" Um, <laughs> and that was just like a game changer yeah. for me. It was it was brilliant. Um, I, I that makes no sense to me. Like, like logically, given what the chaos gates are supposed to do by applying pressure to the player, and then you can just like toss a little bit of gold at it. Like this is I that but it's because the actual those battles I don't think are meant to be in like the actual closing gate battles like the ones that spawn out are really annoying but the ones where you just have to close it they're not that big a deal and I feel like oh, they no, they not. serve they serve to like feed you basically like there are so many reasons why you might want a battle yeah I really thought they're those there were to just let you but, exactly but exactly. But the point is that, like, you have to have, like, at least a two-thirds sized army in order to sure, yeah. just be able to click that auto-resolve auto button. And, so that, and if you that. don't have that, then you... And you don't have to auto-resolve, you can just fight the actual battle. Well, well and, yes, but... Like, to, to get but, to a point where auto-resolve is the easiest way to handle it, you need to actually have a decent-sized army. And to absolutely. fight it, you have to yeah. have a, you know... 
probably a half-sized army. Um, but so your choice when then it, also it, it, just tossing a hero at it, it like it feels like it defeats the purpose of this actually being some sort of difficult pressure on the player. I don't uh, think it so, gives you a choice. It gives you a choice to either pay a little bit money to get rid of this thing. How much or money? Actually, I think gold. is it like five hundred gold is basically yeah. nothing. Yeah, five hundred gold. That like that's not that is not the cost of having an army there. But you're and also that, getting, that feels like it defeats the entire purpose. I don't think it you're does. You're removing I, the reward of doing that. Fi- the actual fight is also a reward. You get rewards from the fight. You, so I mean, you get a little bit of reward to sacrifice but, and get see, no reward. I or think get a little reward and not sac- and not sacrifice. Yeah, I think Rowan, you're undervaluing the sheer. I mean, literal value of free armies that spawn in your territories that aren't too hard to beat that you can beat like i i personally found it very useful to just be like oh no i need some money good thing a horde of demons just came out of the work i'm gonna beat the shit out of them and empty their pockets now or if you're playing as corn where basically the whole thing is like you need to feed (laughs) as corn you just want to be fighting as many battles per turn all the time as you possibly exactly and and, you know some of this issue maybe that most of the time i spent with cathay where i literally needed money like twice in the entire game uh yeah it was it was not the conventional total war experience of living on a shoestring it's the difference between playing like dwarfs and greenskins in in warhammer one where dwarfs you'll always have money like there's always money in the diamond stand or whatever the fuck dwarfs <laughs> run whereas like with greenskins in warhammer one you were like oh well i was getting along with my neighbor but we're gonna run out of money so it's time to go raiding and sack some of their shit because otherwise we're all gonna start murdering I- each other as a dwarf player like this was this is you know five times more and then your like special faction uh gameplay mechanic is to get even more money yeah um so this is good everything about this sounds great to me if you if you want a nice chill time slowly expanding across the map then i recommend cathay you know what it's supposed to be the largest most powerful empire in the entire warhammer world so awesome yeah i'm thrilled to hear that um, if you actually want that that pressure, I do not recommend Cathay. Uh, I also found their their unit roster to be a little dull. Um, well, here's there. Here, the- I was expecting like cool Chinese monsters, and like eventually deep into the game, you get some giant terracotta warriors, and your your main legendary lord can turn into a dragon, and that's pretty much it. Um, so that was some fun was balloons. It's interesting. Yeah, the, the balloons, balloons are neat. Are so cool. They, I, they, there is cool stuff there. It just feels like there should have been a little bit more cool stuff. See, like I wonder if the, you know, the sort one of or idea, two, one or two sorry, more monsters. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to be in a game where it has like five demonic factions. I, I actually sort of appreciate that that Cathay is just a little bit more chill. Like it's a yeah. nice alternative. But obviously, if you're playing a Warhammer game, you do want a bit of that extra. Uh, stuff uh, but you do get some of that with with cafe and with kislev but obviously nothing well kislev the... you get the giant bears pretty quick you do get it and you also have bear riders which are, are fantastic and fun yeah but oh, when wow. you compare them to I the stuff so that like corn can field uh it's it's not nearly as fancy and another thing is that none none of the heroes and only one of the lords and he's pretty weak at it are actually like get in there and fuck shit up melee fighters yeah, uh, they're all like weak little casters, and I like I like my uh, 
my charging minotaurs or saurus warriors or whatever as as at least one hero so i don't know i feel like just adding a couple units to cafe to to really get something that can bounce around is, in the middle of those battles would would make me feel a lot happier is jamming the iron dragon not a badass melee fighter the the big dragons are but okay. other than not them the there aren't yeah, oh, like other than like the ogres. Yeah, oh, like, I, I misheard. Yeah. They're they're lords. No, you're right. I thought that was an interesting thing about Cathay specifically was that their closest thing is like the grand magistrate or something, and he's like, yeah. he's an administrator, really, not like a mm-hmm. not, yeah, not a badass he's, melee warrior. Like his his final uh, his final mount is going up in one of the balloons where he can just hover is above the really? battle with yeah. his. Yeah, with his leadership I love that so much what a yeah that's really that's really <laughs> cool i just wish like one of the lords was you know guan yu or some shit no <laughs> if you want a guan yu it you is, need yeah. like a, a vast giant terracotta sentinel i think that's your only option yeah yeah that that is that is those dudes are really cool and that when you get them in the campaign especially because like the main guys you're gonna fight are norska with their mammoths um yeah that watching watching mammoths tear through yet another formation of jade warriors over and over and over <laughs> like i it yeah it's it's a little rough that's that's it so, so that's the, the interesting thing about like Cathay, like their their army is it's looks like a very standard human army in most respects like they got swordsmen they got spearmen they got archers they got some guys it, with guns in many ways um, it is it's a mirror to the empire on the right. other side of the map yeah and, some, and they're there's some stats, very similar basic units right and in their stats if you look at their stats uh baseline are slightly worse than all of their equivalents in the other human factions but if you make use of the harmony mechanic except for jade warriors were bad. yeah if you make use of the harmony mechanic, their stats, when they're harmonized, are somewhat better than all of their equivalents in the other human armies. Yeah, um, yeah and if you're not they're... familiar, the, the harmony mechanic for listeners is uh, all Cathay units are either yin or yang, and when a yin unit is next to a yang unit, they both get built. Yeah, uh, and it's generally right? melee it's, versus ranged. And it's, yeah, melee and range. Yeah. So that's what I found the most fun about playing Cathay on the battlefield was trying to come up with these clever formations. And like you end up eventually doing things like every unit of melee cavalry I have is going to have a unit of horse archers with it. So I'm I'm kind of doing a different style of micro than I would with the other factions. And I, I enjoyed that. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you just get a blood shrine of corn. Uh, just like Tokyo drifts straight through your Jade oh, Warriors and so starts <laughs> killing your starts killing your archers because like corn cavalry and corn chariots they don't care. You can have the best spearmen in the game. They're just like, yeah, we're coming through out of the way. We got some archers to kill. Oh yeah, we took a little bit of damage, but it's fine. Like his cavalry is so different from other cavalry because you just go right down the middle. You don't need to flank or anything. It's just. Whatever's in front of us, we're gonna bust through it and kill the the range line. Yeah. When they're so, practicing so their spear the formations, weird... I don't think they just really considered <laughs> motorbike tanks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which I think is so, fair on their part. I, I yeah. wouldn't have yeah. prepared for that personally <laughs> yeah. either. So here is the weird thing: is that like I loved the kind of like basic factions in the previous Warhammer games. I liked playing as the empire i love the dwarfs i played as the dark elves the high elves are pretty cool too um i struggled with anything that was like a lot more monster based 
and I still ended up thinking that Pepe was kind of dull. So this is this is not merely that you know I accidentally picked the wrong faction according to my preferences. These were all my preferences. Did you, uh, and it, do you enjoy going really hard into magic? Is that what Cafe is supposed to be doing? I think so, and I don't. Okay. Like I said, I really I really like the you know super powered melee heroes, and so the Empire has Carl Franz uh, and. Carl. Yeah, and you know Malekith, the, the Dark Elves, or Malice Darkblade. I like. Yeah, I really think you would love the ogres because they're shit yeah. range. No, I, his, I, love, <laughs> his love is a joy to play. Even their uh, their caster lord is great in melee. Like Katarina yeah. is both a melee and character and, and a spellcaster. Like the high and, they, and she's they skate across the, the little yep. the little magic heroes have little magic ice sled. Um, yeah, that's that's always a fun little bit. Yeah, I, he's love. I, I've been, like, switching between the Demon Prince and Kislev on hard and trying to, you know, land one of those campaigns where I can feel safe. But uh, the Demon Prince, because, like, he's the protagonist and he has access to all the demon armies at Kislev because they have fucking bears. Um, <laughs> That's true. So. And in fact, if you unlock their secret lord, they have even more bears. Ooh, yeah, right. He has a minus 50% upkeep cost on bears. There's so a secret just, unlockable bears, lore. Bears, yeah. bears, it's all bears, all yeah. time. Um, it's not really so, secret. Yeah, if like you do this is level, you'll get that quest eventually. But yeah, we should we should talk about uh, some of the other factions. Mm -hmm. I just would like to maybe recommend that people whose initial instinct is cafe uh, maybe take take a step back and uh, go with one of the other recommendations. Yeah, I don't think you're Play wrong. Demon Prince. I don't respect you if you don't go Demon Prince straight away. It's, I'm going to put I it think, out there right now. I think right going now. Demon Prince or uh, Katarina uh, as Kislev and that's, are the best and two that's starting what the, campaigns. They're the recommended That's what starts, the game yeah. recommended. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love um, like, Normally, I would sort of, I would rebel against that. If a game's like Fraser, I think you should play this. I mean, fuck you, I'm going to play Ogres. <laughs> but honestly, Demon Prince well, is let's just take, Let's take a second tempting. and talk about the Demon Prince, because the yeah, reason the it's Demon awesome is, really neat. is because you get this whole rpg character creation thing where you're like yeah this is my demon it's prince so he has tentacle arms and a bird face um and that's my friend's demon prince who has a 30 foot tall spear sword thing um and flaws upon people from above and makes them explode with three million armor piercing damage and mine's a wizard you get to I do like whatever you playing want a tall so game where you okay, can okay, make your own sexy bird <laughs> let's take it let's take a step back and say what what this is the demon prince is like a brand new demon who was the dude from the prologue and spoilers. he is yeah spoilers, not, spoilers. it's arthas yeah. um actually when you said this was basically arthas i think that made me like realize where the tutorial was going and then just kind of get bored of it a lot quicker so uh that could be a relative a relative spoiler but you know you've also posted some memes that have already appeared on the reddit so i don't think I, I think that fight is lost, but it did it did possibly hurt my experience a tiny bit. But regardless, he has turned into a demon, and as he plays, he gets to like make choices about which chaos god or all chaos gods to follow. And based on those choices, he can unlock units. He can change like the the units that he can recruit in his towns, and he can unlock different parts of himself, weapons or like heads or wings or whatever. So if you decide to go all in on like sacrificing your enemies to cinch, then you will can become like a flying spellcaster bird. Um yep. And you could 
So you're customizing your armies and you could have a giant spellcasting bird who is like with an entire Cornite army of melee badasses and you can supplement them in that way or go the opposite direction. So there's there's a lot of customization in there. I think there's a little bit too much. It's a bit overwhelming to like try to figure out what decision you are making in in a moment if you're not just being like, yeah, no, you're all no, no. But <laughs> The the idea is very different from any kind of previous Total War or Total Warhammer campaign. And uh it's just really fucking cool to have your demon prince change change his colors and his wings based on what you've done. Yeah, it's a piece of like fundamental game lore and game fantasy that has never been able to be represented well in the tabletop tradition, because you know, we're supposed to know that the creatures of chaos are ever changing and odd, but Every time I take my miniature out of the closet, he's got the same arms. Whereas with the demon prince in this, I'm like, right, but what if what if our tail was like a slug thing and it made goo everywhere we go? That'd be cool. I'm going to do that today. Yeah, I want this for every faction. I do. I, I really ask, but it's like I, it, instead of playing Orion, I just want to like make my own glade lord and like choose what she looks like and like give her her own name and, and like. Oh God! Yeah, like we've op- we've opened some doors here, <laughs> and also let me paint my army the color I want. That's a fundamental part of Warhammer. Come on, fucking army painters! No <laughs> army paint. Where's the army painter? Creative assembly. Um, Why am I even here if I can't the, paint my uh, little dudes? The I do appreciate speaking, that. Speaking of that, you... side note: I had huge trouble actually like seeing this game uh, until I turned the shadows off. They're doing something with the shadows that made the. All of the little units look super muddy to me. I turned the shadows off. I could see just fine. But yeah, you, if you're having trouble like just seeing this game, then uh, turn, those, turn those suckers off. All right, carry on. Yeah, uh, okay, we're done. <laughs> no, no, Lynn, uh, so the Lynn one... wants to be a pretty elf, and <laughs> the one John thing, wants to no. be a slug. <laughs> and Rowan wants to see things. The one thing that I think I would say why I would not maybe recommend Demon Prince as a first campaign is that it's all four demon rosters, which is kind of overwhelming. And even by themselves, um, each of the four demon factions, they all play pretty weird. <laughs> like, I think, yeah, you, you know, uh, it's like corn. Corn is like kind of understandable because he's he has no ranged options and it's all just super aggro melee stuff. Um, which, you know, even back going back to vampire counts in the first game where we're used to having armies that have no ranged options. But then Zinch is like, oh, where's my front line? And it's like, well, that's the neat part. You don't have one. Yeah. Um, you, you do. They have these barriers that are like halo shields that recharge and you're shuffling, you know, pink horrors and blue horrors back and forth when their barriers run out behind each other. Uh Yes, Slanesh is just super weird because it's like Slanesh is. What if your whole army was made of of paper? Okay, yeah, and but then when it touches the enemy, it's on fire. Yeah, it's it's like oops, all cavalry. Like their infantry is as, but they're not even they're not even cavalry. Like they don't have staying power. Their infantry is as fast as the cavalry for some other factions, and their cavalry is like ultra fast. And then it's like you're you're looking at these units. It's like if I look at a horse, or if I look at even like a guy on a bear, I can kind One, of. He's <laughs> not can... wearing a shirt. 
if he's in the Zen the Slanesh factor. Yeah, I can there. I can figure out what those do kind of by looking at it. It's like okay, this guy has a bow and arrow. This guy has a gun that is like balanced on a shield. I can kind of assume how that's gonna work. Like yeah. if I'm looking at Slanesh units, it's like I don't even exactly know which part of this. This thing guy's is the got front. bondage gear and a crab claw. <laughs> Yeah. What does he do? Yeah. What is and, his job in this army? And like Total War kind of helps you with if you look at that unit panel where it has those keywords at the top, like, okay, very fast, anti-infantry, armor piercing. I can piece together what maybe I would use this unit for. But yeah, like, but everything in the Slanesh roster says that. And the army they give okay. you to start with Demon Prince has units from all four Chaos Gods that actually don't work very well together. So I would almost just say disband that and start over. I think, uh, I think I'd say side note, side note there in the previous total war games, like when you right clicked on a unit, it would take you to some website that took forever to load uh -huh. and was very unclear. Um, when you right click on units in this game, there is an in game browser for all factions and units that is very fast, very effective, and actually includes like written things saying what they do. Like the Demon Prince is still pretty overwhelming. Don't get me wrong, but this thing is super neat, and I'm glad they finally added it because holy shit, I hated that fucking browser thing. Uh, and that browser thing in the new game, the in-game encyclopedia has every lore of magic with all the spells and a video of how the spell works, Ooh. which is so satisfying and useful because. Sometimes you'd be like, okay, I don't understand what plus 30% armor piercing damage, plus 30 armor. <laughs> like, I don't understand what all these stats mean. What does this mean, right? You can watch a video of them using it, and they're like, look, you cast it on them, and you smash them into the other guys, and that's how it works. Whoa. And that's very useful for me, because I'm stupid. Fraser, <laughs> do you have a favorite army out of the new ones in uh, Warhammer 3? Oh, yeah, it's Demon Prince, Demons of Chaos... Uh, yeah, easily. I mean, I love the ogres. They're yeah. a ridiculous amount of fun, I, and I, the idea of a meat economy is fantastic, <laughs> and I think fixes a lot of the issues I have with the Total War economy in general, in that it's really fucking boring. Uh, but there's a level... It, the weird thing about the meat economy is that the, the foundations of it are just exactly the same as gold in its impact on your army, in that you have a meat upkeep essentially, yeah. instead of a gold upkeep. And once you run out of meat, your army starts just, instead of leaving or facing attrition, they eat each other. The effect is really the same, although it happens, I would say, a lot faster. Oh, yeah. At a shocking are, speed. Um, it is like you can have like a full, perfect, no damage stack of 20 just vanish, basically, in a few turns, and it's devastating. Because they ran out of food. And Exactly. I love that the thing more... to note about the meat is that each individual army has its own meat stockpile. Yes, it's not a... and it's all a local yep. supply in those camps and, and yeah, settlements artisanal as well. even. So you've got this wonderful rhythm with ogres where, like, your armies have to stock up and prepare for a campaign, and you're like, oh, I think I think we could do this in five turns, so I'm going to cut it close, and I'm only going to send them out with, like, 110 meat. Right. There's some real logistic and supply yeah, and stuff it, going on. It's like really, it's getting to like a war game almost, and I'm really here for it. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, it's only within the radius of camps, which you place down manually. It's like a a city that you can just put on the map wherever you want. Yeah. And they have a ogre radius. settlement. Like when ogres take a settlement on the map, 
it's terrible. Right. It, oh yeah. And like, it's like no matter, four slots, basically. No matter what it is, the, even if it's an amazing yeah. city for someone else, the ogres are like, we don't understand buildings or walls. What are we doing here? <laughs> you could be you could be garrisoned inside like the Great Hall of Greasis, and it doesn't matter if there's not a camp nearby. Like you're going to run out of meat, and they're going to start taking damage. Like that. That's what I'll really what yeah. you're wanting from those settlements is a few the, the, some of the unique buildings that will help your economy yeah. really income. Um, and then you can you can also build like a, a butchering place as well, which halves I think the the gold income the income because starts spending it all on money. On, exactly, on um, it generates meat, and it, it just means that in those territories, then at least you're getting a supply of meat because you have so many other ways of actually making gold because they actually have. And this is what's kind of a surprise, I guess, is they have one of the strongest gold economies in the game. And I think part of that is just because they're like, ah, fuck gold, we're more interested in meat, so they don't spend it. It's number two on the list of things they care about. <laughs> exactly. And so the number they end one up having is in really big font. But what I found was that encouraged me to make a lot of ogre armies. Uh, and you can really quickly as well, because the way that when you deploy these camps, you can quickly like tear them up a lot faster than you would a settlement as another faction. So you start getting like the high tier units a lot faster. Um, and especially because in, in Warhammer 3, where you have uh, alliances allow you to recruit units from their roster and give you, gives you a whole third recruitment track, that means you can build an entire 20 stack army in like a couple of few or a few turns, yeah, you know, at, it's at really great speed. Yeah. So if you're the if you're the ogre army, you've got a fuck ton of money. You've got some alliances. You are just shitting out armies. Uh, and I got into a bit of trouble because I was like, well, I have all the money, but fuck, I forgot about the meat. <laughs> so I <laughs> so I just started watching these armies that I was about to send into the fray start munching on each other. My poor boys eating each other. Uh, and there is just like a really I cool forgot about here. the meat. <laughs> my, you should never forget about the meat. My favorite thing about the, the ogres is the lead belchers, uh, which are yes, just an ogre carrying a cannon. It's a yeah, it's it's like a ship, like a cannon you would take off of like a tall ship, and they just use them as personal firearms. And it's the most ridiculous. Ogres are just. If they're so bad at range, so they give you like one of the best range so units good. in the game. I had like I had <laughs> six of them in my end game army, and it would be like I would just roll up to a settlement, and it's like we're just gonna wait outside and shoot you until um you're dead with cannonballs. Uh so if you want to come out here, we also got man eaters and we got gorgers, and they'd be happy to say hello. Um, but if you're just gonna camp in there, uh, we're just gonna yeah shoot you to death with cannonballs. So uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's talk about the settlements for a minute because they raised the 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 intensity of settlement, especially minor settlement oh, yeah. battles oh, yeah. in this oh, game. Yeah, okay. And um, like every time you attack a minor settlement, you can have like a twenty minute slugfest where it ends up with you know five people up against seven people for the fate of the universe <laughs> and it's a lot yeah. like it's really neat the first time and it's still pretty neat on and off but also it can be a complete fucking slog so having giant pieces of artillery that are fairly mobile uh could really really help with those not feeling like a slog um and this is this is what I was talking about earlier about the the big quest battles is that you also can build build towers for the in the same way that you can in your settlement right. battles. They've like raised more strategic choices 
within these siege things. They just are all kind of slow in a way that uh, can turn them into uh, some of those Total War scrums that I famously dislike. I think that's interesting because that, that's I, I had that experience one time, but what that did, I feel, was teach me the lesson that when you do those settlement battles, you need to, in a way that you don't in other past Total War games, spread your army out and capture yeah. territory because you can keep yeah. your opponent from accruing the supplies that they need to build more stuff by moving your units onto the capture points inside the settlement, which was always sort of a joke half way of winning in the past, but is now right. vital, right? Like you want to take these points inside the town strategically so that your opponent can't build more magic towers and totally murder you. No. This is this is true. This is a good strategic thing. It's just a thing that takes up a lot more like attention and it's more intense. It does. And yep. it makes the whole it makes the whole thing uh, just, you know, a little bit less, I don't know, smooth, I think is is the word. I, I agree with you a little bit, but I just I think it's such a huge upgrade over just fighting on a, a normal blank map when you go to a minor yeah. settlement. Yeah. No, there it just I think it goes with uh, my general feeling that armies should route a little bit easier in Total War than everything would be fine. Um, I, I which, do, what's kind of cool is we had these survival battles, right? And I, I yeah. didn't really... Like, I liked the survival battles the first few times, but actually I'm really glad that you can auto-resolve them yeah. now because I'm like, ah, and it's like a really, but. It's a really forgiving auto-resolve, too. Like, it's way it more is. forgiving it's, than the regular auto-resolve. It's the only forgiving auto-resolve yeah. in this game because usually it's a real it's bastard. Brutal, yeah. Um, but it's, uh, this time it's like, nah, mate, you've got a few guys left. <laughs> Heroic victory. You can take it. But what's kind of cool is that there are actually all the, the ingredients of these survival battles are really good it's just that they actually end up being a bit repetitive but they've put these ingredients in the minor settlement battles and sieges and i think they are so much better because of them like i don't think trying to make it a tower defense game worked but when you put it in a minor settlement or a siege yeah. it doesn't feel like a tower defense game anymore it feels like a holistic part of the siege uh, experience. I agree. It makes sense that you'd have all these fortifications and so, towers, right? The holistic part of the siege experience makes it seem like it's a yoga position. Uh, I'm sorry, that was the wankiest thing I've said all day. They also have like they have a lot more variety in like the 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 layout of the settlements too. Uh, the, oh yeah, Warhammer Two. It felt even Mortal Empires. It just felt like you were fighting the same battle over and over like every city kind of felt the same it's like it's a right. wall mm -hmm. and there's like a little grid of streets behind it and then usually an elevated victory point and now they have things like bridges that will like go over a road so you can put archers up there and yeah there yeah. Are, there are real multiple levels to a lot of stuff the the and down, even the ones yeah. that are the same layout like you'll see the same minor settlement layout several yeah. times but it'll be a different faction's minor settlement so it will visually at least appear completely different which is nice and, and i think this is something that they they're like escalating what they some of the stuff they learned from total war Three oh, yeah. kingdoms oh yeah right uh, where th those had several mi different minor settlement uh layouts that could completely change what a battle looked like um, in troy actually like some of the like cliff settlements look similar to some of the, the settlement battles of troy too uh, interesting yeah didn't they also kind of uh, 
refresh the sort of minor settlement battles in the Rome remaster and experimented a little bit there. I did not even play that. I didn't. I will add. <laughs> Wait, I did. The it was so forgettable. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the downside. But I do love that we've. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say the downside of this is that I don't think the AI is very good at attacking these. Oh. Um, yeah, the pathfinding the, is major the, the path issues. Pathfinding is there are some maps that just randomly. I was playing a multiplayer map earlier today with some of our Patreon backers. Check out uh, Patreon.com/3ma, where I was nice. like, "Buddy, I I got anytime you take a big group of units and tell them to go to a capture point in one of these windy minor settlements, they just." they lose their minds. Like I was saying, it seems like there used to be a gate here and now it's a wall, but they didn't get rid of the pathing mesh. Like there's all this weird, there's like a rice paddy map in Cathay. That's like this tiered rice paddy. And if you tell a unit to go down from it, they will just run back and forth for no reason. In circles. Yeah. Like there's, there's some weird stuff going on with, I think it's more the pathfinding than the AI. I think the AI I is there's just some visual war. stuff as well, though, isn't there? It's because it's hard to parse some of them. They're worse because the, this, the layout is more complicated, yeah. Because all of these yeah. paths are um, are too wide to facilitate an a AI that is used to like having massive wide avenues and battlefields yeah, yeah. to fight in. But the, the real issue is that it, it's too wide, but it looks wider than it really is. Because none <laughs> of these, especially in sieges and minor settlements, that you might look like you have this massive broad avenue to go down, but then if you actually look at where your troops can actually go in that one avenue, it's very small in comparison to the actual full size. On either side of them, there could just be huge areas that they're just not moving to or spreading out to at all, like invisible walls. Yeah, that I, I totally agree with you, and I had to make liberal use of like waypoint movement some of the minor stuff yeah and stuff like that you it, gotta there are waypoint there's waypoint movements in total war <laughs> <Old> shift <laughs> holy shit <laughs> yeah you're you're gonna have know. to do a lot of microing you really can't just like select 12 units of blood letters and tell them to go to the city center because they're never gonna find it they're you know and and you're gonna have their phone and this out, may and sound lost and yeah this may sound like a relatively niche set of complaints or you know analysis but you're probably spending like a quarter of the game at these fucking minor settlement battles. Yeah, you're gonna fight a lot of battles <laughs> in the minor settlement. This is this is a major major part of how much time you spend in this game. And yeah, I was talking with someone on Twitter who said that like he had just given up on them and just by default <laughs> would do auto resolve after three turns of sieging and fuck it. Uh, so that was. Yeah, that's that's understandable because they are so intense and there's a lot of micro involved. And like, I'm going to be honest, like, I'm not the world's greatest at micro and Total War Warhammer, especially. I just like making the armies run into each other <laughs> and monsters, it, monsters explode and shit. Like, I'm not I'm not in this to feel like the smartest person in the world. I'm in this to, to crash my Lego men <laughs> into one another. And uh, yeah extra micro gets gets in the way of that more than it actually like makes me feel like a good strategy well player. you brought up another huge pacing oh go ahead fraser sorry yeah i was just gonna say i i just i think the thing that excites me the most about the minor settlement battles over the sieges as well because they are quite distinct uh -huh. um 
Uh, firstly, that you don't have to deal with all the walls and bullshit, which is quite nice. Because uh, honestly, I'm over that stage of sieges in Total War games. I don't want to watch the blooming battering ram and siege towers slowly roll towards their targets. Skip it. But, uh, the, but the thing that actually really gets me is that they are, they are far more elaborate and you can create little traps and tricks and fuck around with the AI a little bit, exploiting some of its stupidity, but also just drawing it into traps. It's not even that I feel like I have to micro too much. I, I think there is more micromanagement in, in those battles, but it, it just feels like I am have more freedom to use tactics in a way that I yeah. wouldn't necessarily in previous Total Wars. Yeah, I, I just think that's a bit of a double-edged sword, but it's absolutely yeah. pull it off. Uh, like the, those cafe, like, tiered settlements when yeah. I would defend them and find like the perfect place to set up some of my like super duper celestial dragon archers. Like, Ooh, that was, that was a neat trick. Yeah. It's happy, happy Shogun two flashbacks on a yeah. lot of yeah. the, the bigger siege battles in this. And I like them a lot. I like that the, and I know, I, I think Lynn disagrees with me on this, that the, the walls, I like that the outer walls of a city in a big siege are no longer the end all be all of fighting. I like that you can fall back and fight in the city streets and lead yes. people into traps. It, it feels more like a real siege assault rather than like a sort of Hollywood, oh, they took the walls, we lose battle. I just never find, I don't know, if I'm playing as a faction, like let's say the High Elves in, in Warhammer 2, um, I want to put like all of my best archers on the walls and then I want to kill everything before they get inside the city. That's what I like to do. I like that. I, I, it depends on what faction I'm playing, obviously. I feel like anytime I try to fall back through the city and fight my way backward through the city, usually feels like, oh, well, I already, I already lost. I'm just mitigating how much, you know, damage I'm going to take because what would have been efficient would have been to stop them at the outer wall. And now I'm going to take all these losses that, you know, I, I wouldn't have taken if I, I didn't so, stop them. That's the not wall. the case in 3, though, so, is it? It's changed for 3 because of the way objectives and supplies and all this stuff work. True. Yeah. No, no, I think I think what the issue is that, like, these are perfectly designed for having these massive stack battles. But if you're just doing, like, you know, whatever the, the little garrison is versus two thirds of an enemy stack, then it just becomes like a single True. choice of do I put all my troops on the walls or do I put all my troops in a little trap? And uh, yeah, like it's it's kind of a, a Hail Mary design for like the perfect ideal form. And when that hits, oh man, it feels good. But for just like consistently doing the same thing over and over, it, it can be a little well, much. You did mention another huge pacing change, uh, which is that settlements even if they're like a capital they start taking attrition the turn after you start sieging them it's uh, so good which makes the game thank god it makes the game so go so much faster overall it also eliminates one of the strongest lord skills from uh from warhammer 2 which was the one that reduced the time you needed to siege before they would start taking casualties i would beeline it for that before thank god for it um and uh, I, I actually like overall how this changes the pace of the campaign. I do think it's weird that it happens to, like, for instance, the great the gates on the Great Bastion. Like if some, you know, <laughs> asshole warrior of chaos, like 
shows up and knocks on the door of the the turtle gate or whatever, you're going to start taking casualties, even if you have a perfectly clear supply lane to the entire nation of Cathay. <laughs> like, wait, are you are you saying that a total war game is struggling with get gates? gates? God, oh, they, no. they can't get gates right. They just can't get gates right. Um, like, that should be the advantage of the Great Bastion is that you don't take attrition when it's being besieged. That, that you are forcing them to actually attack it if they want to get through. Um, I actually agree. I think there should be exceptions. Yeah. That, um, and, and like, I think there are several cities that it just would make sense where they wouldn't be taking attrition. Or there are certain situations where you could um, really construct your faction around not having to deal with that bullshit. But for the pace of the game it's such an improvement i have played way too many total war games now in the last like 20 years and i just think about how much time i've spent in these games waiting for some fuckers to starve to death and i don't have any patience for it anymore so the fact that they start starving really quickly and i'm like one turn of sieging and i'm like attack attack and someone's like the battering ram's not ready i don't fucking care let's go i mean you like in all of the recent Totals War, you can just have your troops climb up the walls. Like, you don't Absolutely. need those battering rams. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Battering rams it was are a joke. I mean, they're free, so, like, if I'm going to be there for a while, I just queue up a bunch of siege towers, because, like, I don't know, if I decide to auto-resolve it, they'll take those into account or something. But, yeah, I usually don't really care much. All right, so stick with me here. What if, instead, your entire army was simply capable of knocking down walls with their fists? The, I mean, there are quite a few of them now. And that's yeah. why we play as ogres. <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually, it's it's honestly too easy now. Like, a lot of the big units from most of the factions can just, like, not just gates, like, they can tear down walls with, like, their bare hands. Um, or indeed just go over them. The amount of the, the flying. units fucking, that can just fucking fly yeah. over the wall. And you're like, what are you going to do about the it? fucking mammoths. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Mammoths were the bane of my existence. The only problem I had with cafe is just if there was if there was a mammoth, it was it was the worst battle. I just, of my I life. just imagine Rowan like at the Natural History Museum, just staring daggers at a big mammoth skull, just furious that it existed ever, you gotta, and happy that it's dead. You just have to focus fire him because they've also changed. Large units are like way more vulnerable to ranged fire than they were in Warhammer mm-hmm. Two. Oh, you just have to focus fire them. There's five of them. <laughs> well, that's bullshit. They shouldn't be allowed. There should be a regulation against that. But um, <laughs> yeah, another another neat thing in this game that I I like a lot is that when you make alliances with other factions, yes. you can build these yes. little outposts and start pulling units from them, which is definitely good. Just in that. Um, like I think their their local recruitment is a little bit slower, so adding a secondary form of recruitment uh helps you flesh out your your new armies a lot a lot easier. But the big thing is that like if you're cafe and you ally with the ogres, you can now just have ogre units, and like you want to mitigate the lack of monsters in your army. There's a fucking <laughs> way to do it. Uh, yeah, I I kind of gave up on that campaign by the time I was actually getting good ogre units, but like, yeah, the the idea there just for something to add a little spice to any army is is really, really neat, and I, I wish I could, like, take it back to 
Warhammer yes. 2. And, I really yeah, hope my, they have uh, to put this in the Immortal Empires because, like, that's oh, yeah. the dream, right? Is like, I've got my Empire army that's got, like, Bretonian knights and, like, dwarf slayers and, like, elven archers. And, like, we're getting the band together to go, you know, kick some ass. Oh, yeah. You just <laughs> you just want to roleplay as the Order Tide. Well, you know. <laughs> you're, you're cosplay. And it is limited. Friend. You can uh, only have up to four units per army that are allied units. But, right. like, I loved it for roleplay, because it's like, yeah, I, I can be the demons, and I'm bringing some Norskin berserkers with me, because they love corn, and I love corn. We're going to eat corn together, and, you know, blood for the blood god. It's a good time. And it, this is a little bit in the existent uh, Mortal Empires in Warhammer 2, when you could hire right. mercenaries, yep. which, like, as the dwarfs, you have elite infantry and artillery and... Ogres missile troops but you don't have any cavalry oh now i have mornfane cavalry from the ogres <laughs> which is really good <laughs> i, I it, it sort of defeats the purpose but man is it fun to defeat that purpose and it's given value to diplomacy again which is nice because diplomacy is just one of those things that like really until three kingdoms was just really shit and annoying uh, i just wasn't engaging at all and i actually would love to see some personal diplomacy in warhammer 3 that would be quite fun um we, we have we have quick deals in there we do have quick yeah, deals now which are fantastic i love that yeah. um but it's yeah just in general the diplomacy system has just been like heavily enhanced for this one but yeah outpost is the best part and it, it encourages you to really think about who your allies are and keep them happy because when that alliance ends Say goodbye to your fancy troops that you've been using to yeah. fill in gaps. Yeah. Uh, so my, you're like, actually, this guy's an asshole, but I love his <laughs> troops. My uh, so get to stick around. My Grease's Goldtooth like, campaign was basically the the look at the size of this lab, absolute unit picture <laughs> yeah. of the queen with that businessman, and it was just me. It was just Grease's and Miao Ying. I just made really good friends <laughs> with Northern Cathay, and I was like, we're buddies now. Let's go kick Chaos's ass. Can I borrow some Jade Warriors? Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Like it, it was a delight. I loved it. Just and weird. it really encouraged you is you into that friendship as well, like uh, the ogre campaign. They're like, Do you want to be best buds with campaign? You're like, okay, I uh, guess. You know. It, it does. And this is this is also very useful as like one of the best side effects of the way the campaign is structured is that it's a race and the person who gets there first manages to get all the rewards. Nobody else gets anything. So if you're in a situation where you and you know your ally are going for the that last demon soul i think fraser you said you had to attack your best bud mm -hmm. yeah and now i was i was lucky because i think this this was in the the demon prince campaign so i already had nurgle units so um when nurgle uh, and i ended up in uh, in one of the realm of realms of chaos together uh i had to decide do i want to attack my best bud and break our alliance and everything. And it was quite distressing. Uh, luckily, I could make that sacrifice because I didn't really need anything. I mean, it was nice to be able to make extra Nurgle troops on a second recruitment or a third recruitment track, rather. But yeah, I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this fucker. And uh, we ended up not making up for a very long time. But I did get the Demon oh. Prince soul. So <laughs> fuck that guy. I don't care. I won. The other thing I really like about that is that it, you have this cast of like eight or nine lords that even if they're not close together on the map, that you bump into them a lot. And I, I mm -hmm. like that because it's it's like these rivals and it's like, oh, it's you again. Oh, you motherfucker. 
It's like, you're not going to take my soul, um, which, you know, solves some of the issues with Mortal Empires where it's like, yeah, I mean, Grimcore is always going to be dead by the time you get to him. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's nice to be able yeah. to see the other legendary yeah. lords involved in the campaign every time you're playing. Yeah. It's, it's a good bit of design. I, I think back to when Total Warhammer 1 came out and I recommended that people play as the Empire because they were the only faction who would encounter all the other factions. Mm -hmm. Like, right. if you were playing as the Dwarfs, you would just be fighting Greenskins forever. Um, and the Vampires would pretty much just be fighting Dwarfs and Empire. But the Empire had, like, all four around them. And now I look at what Total Warhammer is and it's just like, holy shit. Everything is everywhere, and it's amazing. It is. It's really impressive. Just the drawing on the breadth of factions they've designed to give you a vast and varied theater to play in and to fight against and to do stuff in is has paid off so much more than you might have imagined it would have. And I think that that, yeah. that's, that part of it is really wonderful, especially with the absolutely weird sets of campaign mechanics i mean we've barely even talked about the chaos gods unique campaign mechanics kislev has a fascinating internal politics campaign mechanic right? like four like, types of chaos corruption yeah, now, yeah. which is just every, like, every right. faction like, has like as many mechanics as the faction with the most mechanics in mortal empires did or maybe I, more. I actually, and maybe this is, this is, you know, that I spent the most time with Cathay, but I actually kind of missed some of the weird ones because I didn't feel like there were, like, major restrictions. Like, um, you know, Scar's Neck in Total Warhammer 1 could only recruit goblins until he went all the way across the map and captured one specific city. That was like a major restriction that made that faction kind of hellish to play, but interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, there were definitely like positive things and motivating things, but there were also not as many negatives that you got with the later expansion lords. Like, uh, Imric also, uh, yeah, was really fascinating for that in Total Warhammer 2. I think they'll get to it and they'll start to do really weird oh, yeah, stuff with, with Lord Packs in this one. I'm expecting strange things from them. Is it time to wildly speculate? <laughs> um, maybe. I think it's about that time, yeah. Um, um, so, so yeah, we have this map that is clearly missing some things. And this it's really interesting because it's like clearly missing some things in a way that you would expect the map to grow, which the maps in the previous Total Warhammer games haven't necessarily. Yeah, what we're talking about here is a uh, a data mined map from the game files that is I'm not even on that point yet. I'm just talking about like regularly playing oh, this map. Warhammer map like playing yeah. Warhammer 3. So, well, there's obviously so a like... big giant spot with appropriately named provinces uh for the chaos dwarfs right where there's yeah, just the some placeholder orcs wandering around <laughs> the chaos dwarfs are the last army book that has not been put into this game yeah they're so very sort of obviously waiting to be added um we know they're coming and the reason you can definitely know they're coming is simply that they've been supported in age of sigmar so there is already an entire unit roster available between the old chaos dwarf armies and the new ones of all kinds of weird shit like land trains powered by demons and stuff to to come along um and get added 
and what? I expect they will interact with the main campaign mechanic in uh in Realms of Chaos. They they'll go after the soul and I don't know. Yeah. Make it into the, a pie. the other big thing is that they say that there is there are four dragon children of the dragon emperor of cafe yep. uh and two of them are in this game and cafe doesn't have you know a coastal border so uh yeah it seems like an obvious thing that they would be added as legendary lords in part of the map that may not actually be there yet yeah i think we're waiting for a water dragon in mm-hmm. the east and uh some other kind fire of dra- the, the fire dragon is the one in the south yeah a fire dragon in the south they've also okay. heavily hinted at the monkey king who like there was a little bit of lore about him that he like deposed the dragon emperor or something in like yeah briefly there's the monkey the king is in one of the multiplayer campaigns as well just doing is monkey he? king stuff well there's like i've not actually played that campaign but yeah there's the cafe it's it's set during i think the monkey king reign or something like that because he you usurped okay. the throne it's, right it's like well the great, a long time before yeah i've I, I played a little bit of it today it's well the dragon emperor was absent i did not actually mm-hmm. i don't think the monkey king is actually uh in as a lord that you can actually encounter right he's yet. referenced right. to it or so i referenced in it or um, something which like um, we're not sure what he's gonna be yet like if he's a chaos being or which be able to transform into a monkey wait, yeah, like the dragons he just like literally like sun wukong and he's gonna have a cathay roster or a modified cathay roster like we don't know so there's like lore that you can read about him yeah. and that and the cool thing is that it's even within Cathay, it's inconsistent, the descriptions of what the Monkey King right. was yeah, like. Yeah. So it depends on what part of Cathay you're in. So like the northern provinces or something, they envision him as like a big gorilla. Uh-huh. But whereas other ones there, he's like a smaller like spider monkey and he's mischievous and cunning and stuff like that. Um, so in the lore, it's that he's an actual uh, monkey but he's, and he's various. So maybe we're going to get a shape-shifting monkey which would be That'd actually be incredibly cool. yeah. fun. Yeah. I would be well up for and, that. I'm into it. I think Creative Assembly has also been a little coy about whether uh, Bake Japan will be in there. Well, they've said that it's oh. not going to be, right? Yeah. Haven't they just outright so what, said what uh, Nippon's did, not going to be in yeah. there? They did say they're not going to put in it, and that's really for the best. What Andy Hall said about uh, like Nippon, Ind, and Koresh, which Ind and Koresh are like fantasy India and fantasy Indochina, basically, Tiger headed opium night. He said he doesn't want to. He he said in the most recent interview that he doesn't want to say never, but there are no immediate or long term plans to add those areas. Um, mm. like he said, he's seen the whole roadmap, and like even even if we're talking a couple of years out, that's not something that's on the board, largely because again, Creative Assembly would need to agree to let them basically work with them to create another faction that has never really been represented except for some obscure references in in lore or whatever. And extremely racist references that would need to be right, right from the yeah. lore. Yeah, like you, you can't you can't just put Nippon in the game. Yeah. I mean Right. It's I, I mean you're just gonna put in the actual Japanese word for Japan. You can still go play Shogun 2, is what I want to say to the people who are on the forums complaining about oh, man. not being in the game. Well, I mean it's it's <laughs> also that Cafe needs some yeah, some Western pressure do. because like every part of the map there this map is very interesting in terms of like the way that it's kind of bent around the realms of chaos. I think it's a, a really interesting distortion mm-hmm. that allows them to get everything that they want to get in it 
but it does mean that there are like edges of the map that functionally make those those factions that manage to consolidate around them have so much of an easier time. Um, like I, I went and looked at like the secondary ogre lord who starts in the mountains in whatever the, mm-hmm. the fantasy Alps are. And it's just like, okay, so this guy immediately has the ability to just not worry about the South and the West. That seems useful. Um, yeah, there is a, yeah. a certain imbalance, I guess, to how some things are done. Cathay could probably yeah, it, use a few more hordes of beastmen ravaging it from the south or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like expecting some kind of Japan or Korea uh, to the to the east there is completely understandable because it does it does feel like this is like a to be continued more than uh an actual solid map in that way. And uh now getting into the data mind. <laughs> The data mine files. It, there, there are continuations that seem to be fairly clear, but not necessarily for this campaign. Right. Uh, we have a speculative. I believe Creative Assembly has come out and said that it is an old prototype map that has been data mined. That is the theoretical map for the extra large, very big campaign. Uh, and. I think I'll, I'll mm-hmm. I think we should turn it over to Lynn who has done a, a very elaborate <laughs> yeah. write up of it. So it's well before before going directly into this, I am interested if that's an old prototype in that they decided that they wanted to just do Mortal Empires again but bigger versus they've completely gone back to the drawing board and everyone might be wrong. I think it's like 90% chance it's the yeah. former, but there is a small chance that all of Absolutely. this is it's possible. just completely wild speculation that has no basis in reality. It's, it's anyway. also worth noting that uh, when somebody data mined the original Mortal Empires map for War- Warhammer 2, they said the same thing and it was like 90% the same when it came out as the data mined version. Yeah, so, yeah, and was, that, yeah. that's what I would expect. Yeah, so, so this, um, this map has... Um, it's 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 the it's the it's the old world that we've had since Warhammer one. Um, I'm fairly confident of that. I've lined it up to the point that I'm I'm pretty sure that the geography of everything from Norska down to like the top half of the Badlands has not changed at all since Warhammer one. They've just been building off of that map. Um, but then it also includes the rest of the Darklands. We had some of the Darklands in the final patch for uh, Warhammer two. They added the northern and southern darklands to the very, very western edge of the map. What what are the darklands? Worth... Like this is basically the fake real world. Um, so I don't know that they really correspond to any real world area necessarily. The darklands. The darklands are the steps uh, Persia through yeah. to the mountains. I guess Tibet, yeah, because right? the the chaos dwarves have kind of like a Mesopotamian theme, right? They do. Yeah. Yeah, and um. So you you have the World's Edge Mountains, which was like the edge of the Warhammer 1 map, and then the Darklands are like this flat area in between before you get to the Mountains of Morn, which is where the Ogres live, and then Cathay is on the other side of that. Um, They have squished Lustria and the Southlands, but they have restored them to where they're a full continent. They don't like cut off at a right angle like they did in... in, You can actually sail around them now, Um, which 
came with a quite severe reduction in size for the Southlands, even if you compare it to just the northern part that was in uh, Warhammer 2. Um, yeah, they squash it all up. Yeah, uh, and the Lustria is actually bigger because it goes all the way down to the southern tip now. They've also extended Nagaroth, the Dark Elf Continent, Fantasy, North America, to where you didn't actually go to the west coast there. But then what was maybe the most... Oh, and Cathay also is expanded beyond what it is in the Realms of Chaos campaign with three new provinces of the eastern coast. Uh, but yeah, the most surprising thing was probably they've added I mean, the South Pole, which has like no lore whatsoever, except that I guess there was a very little lore where Archaon uh, goes. And, and they've they've expanded the North so that there will oh, be right. like direct connections for yeah. the demons to go you all can, the way around and attack Malachi. Yeah, you can friends. walk yes. from Nagaroth to uh, Norska now, basically, if you go around the top of the map. Um, so I've got a theory. <laughs> All right. So my theory is South Pole, right? We'll see that right at the end of Warhammer 3's DLC stuff, right? They're going to save it up. It's not even going to be in Immortal Empires or something like that. They'll save it to the end. There's going to be a wee campaign to get down there. All the races are racing to get down to the South Pole. And when they get there, what do they find? Space Marines. And then it ends. <laughs> Well, no. Bringing it all the way back around. I don't. You're not allowed it. to say Space Marines anymore. They would be Adeptus Astartes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't care. I I play this game and I will always I will call always them say Space Marines. The more games Workshop Adeptus doesn't Astartes. want me to say Space Fuck Marines, off. the more I'm gonna say Space Marines. And I I don't yeah. say Astra Militarum yeah, either. Yeah, it's Imperial yeah. Guard. I don't care about. Your I have a limit to my nerdiness. Trying to you know. Well, it's just because they want to be able to copyright stuff, which is like the worst reason to change the name. Uh. So, like I don't care. I'm still gonna. Anyway, yeah, that's my theory: is that it's all building up to Total War Warhammer 40k. You know, it's funny that you say that because I ran a tabletop campaign one time where they started out as uh, tribesmen, and I gave them character sheets that had been scrubbed of any data that would tell them what game system we're playing, and then the black ships showed up and they got recruited into the Imperial Guard like halfway through. Ah, brilliant! <laughs> I like that trope. I do like that trope. Um. Well, you know, it it's not a it's a connection that they abandoned a long time ago, but I would unironically think it's great if they did some shenanigans like that because like in the in the old realms of chaos game, one of the one of the items on the artifact table that could be a boon and blessing from the dark gods was like they just they toss you a laser pistol. You just can, like go to town, man. In in uh, have fun. in the realm of corn, in this in Warhammer 3, you can get a chain sword. That's one of the of course, you can. You, yeah, can. you can. You don't actually show the it thing on is, your is, character, but the item is a chainsword. Yeah. You know, because in universe they're not remotely connected at all, because forty k is just Earth in our universe in right. the far yeah. flung future, where it. Uh, so it's not like you know forty k is the future. The same. Hmm? Yeah. These the chaos cards are the same. Right. Yeah, yeah. They still have all that stuff. I mean, it's but it's like. Um, I mean, it could be another planet, couldn't it? It could be just another planet that sort of vaguely resembles Earth and has all of these factions that vaguely resemble ours. In S Star Trek, did it? <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, they won't do it, but they could. So, so the really interesting thing, if they are basically making Immortal Empires, you know, Mortal Empires two, is that. I really want them to get the Chaos Invasion right, and it's been. 
just a massive struggle for it to even be like tolerable in Mortal Empires. Um, but the addition of four different fucking yeah. factions of demons would potentially do wonders, especially if they can come from the South Pole and apply pressure from the South in addition to the massive invasion that attacks the Empire and nobody else. Oh, so you mean team um, up with the Space Marines, <laughs> Rowan, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, team up with the Space Marines. <laughs> if you're, you're invading the, you know, the Southlands, like, where is your order tied now, huh? Where are they? Oh, they're way up there? I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to conquer even, all this. Yeah. So. Even, even when I was playing, like, the fixed version of Mortal Empires where the Chaos Invasion was not 600 stacks that immediately sailed across the ocean to attack the player wherever they were. Um, like, I was playing as the Lizard Men. I took over Lustria pretty quickly, and then the Chaos Invasion was starting, so I, like, consolidated. I was like, okay, I don't have, I don't have a whole lot to do here. Uh, all of my local enemies are are gone. Malekith is, you know, whatever. I can deal with him. I have nice little choke points. So let's see what the Chaos Invasion does. And like one or two armies sailed across the ocean. And like then I was completely comfortable in every way. And I'm like, no, I want I want that Chaos Invasion to burn down half the cities in the world. Um, that helps so much with the micromanagement of a late game total war. Especially because this uh, is going to have it, fi 508 provinces, which is up from 353 in Mortal Empires. It's like 44% yeah. bigger, I think. I feel like I feel like that that massive boost to load speed and turn time they did. Yeah, it was necessary. A few years, like a year ago, year and a half ago. Oh man. Um, was like they were developing this this prototype, and they were like. This isn't going to be playable unless we fix it. <laughs> fix the, the turn times. Yeah, because yeah, I, 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 so the turn times in just the regular um, Realm of Chaos campaign are pretty quick, oh, yeah. but the actual loading times are pretty, even on an SSD, they're quite long. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, oof, Mortal Empires is going to be hefty. But then, like, I, I think that we are going to see these kind of uh, incremental optimizations and updates, like, just like we did with two, because comparing what Mortal Empires runs like now to at launch holy shit like i sort of just I, you just gotta grin and bear it when you want something that stupidly ambitious and unexpected then you're like okay i i may be willing to read a chapter of a book while i wait for these turns to finish um but once you go through the optimization stuff and it's so lovely and brisk like i don't want to go back to that again with immortal empires so if it takes them longer to get that sweet spot i'm willing to wait like a year two years whatever i don't care just yeah get it right yeah because i think I, like guess... even if you don't love the campaign you could still get joy out of playing this campaign probably twice and that's a couple hundred hours oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, you're thinking, like, you know, once you finish the Realm of Chaos, you do the Domination campaign, and, and like, if that's if it's the sandbox stuff you crave, you're getting to that pretty quickly, and then you're going to have, like, a big, meaty game after that, because the game is nowhere near done by the end of the Realm of Chaos stuff. Guaranteed, most of the big players are still around, unless you've been the one, like, wiping them off the board. I, I just... I really wonder about them making a game that's like the last chapter of total warhammer but also you're waiting like six months or a year for the real end of the game which is the immortal empires campaign that is 
you know, this is the thing that we have been waiting for since they announced this was like, yeah, we're going to make a campaign where you can play every single fucking Warhammer thing on the same map. And like, oh, yeah, hell yes. This is this is it, great. But it's wild. It's, it, now we're, we're we have this we have this major release that is a major release, but also we're expecting a major release within that major mm -hmm. release. And this is all this is all just kind of it an really, appetizer for, yeah. um, for new armies, too. Right. Like. Yeah, they're gonna yeah, be chaos. That, and new legendary lords. Yeah, did did you get the feeling though? So the end of the campaign, um, no matter who you play as, there is a bit at the end where you sort of it hints at what the future of the uh, the old fella yeah. has been guiding you through everything, and there's like it leaves it open enough. So so I don't think there's going to be a Warhammer Four. I want to well, make that clear. To... This is a trailer. It's clear but that I there's think, not going to be a Warhammer Four. This is I yeah. This is taking. There's going to maybe be more story, like a following on from Realm of Chaos, perhaps. Yeah, I wanted to ask John about this. Do you have any idea what the White Crow is supposed to be? Because that part actually let me down. Because it's like this guy, this advisor guy, this old dude, like he was in the trailer for Total War Warhammer One, where like his mind gets corrupted by Zinch because he read a bad book or something. And like we Yeah, this is uh this is our advisor. And group. he was yeah. he was important in the Vortex campaign and he's like he's pretty important in Realms of Chaos, but then at the end I'm like, if this is the end of the trilogy, I don't know what we accomplished here. I mean, like... So give us a description of what happens I, at the end of this campaign so for people listening. Yeah, so he, he he's like, whichever faction you're leading, he's like, just get to Urs. I'll help you get to Urs, and I just want one drop of his blood. Like, that's... Right, because he's got a book. Right. It's and he need, he wants to get rid of the curse of this the book. The Tome of Fates or whatever. Like, the trailer for... Yeah, because he one. can't use it for himself. Right. He's yeah. He's got all of this knowledge and power, but he can only use it for other people, so he wants to be free of that curse. <laughs> To use it himself, yeah, basically. And then, like, so so you get to the god, uh, you get to Urson, and, like, if you're the demon prince, you know, you absorb his power, so you become you become the new god of Kislev, which is pretty awesome. Like, Kislev's whole religion is now just demon worship, which is pretty metal. Um, if you're the ogres, like, you, you like, you cut, a, you cut a leg off of him and have a big barbecue and just kick the rest into the maw, which I thought was hilarious. I fucking love it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. They're so yeah, good. it's perfect. You win the game and it's just like, it's yeah, dinner. dinner time. That's what you've done. Yeah. No one's ever eaten a god before. It's the per it is the ultimate victory for the ogres. Um, but I love how chill they are about the deal. They're like, meat for us, blood for yeah. you. Yeah. But then like, so he gets his drop of blood and he breaks this curse or whatever. And then like, he's like walking off into the sunset or whatever and there's like a, a white crow with him and i assume this is something that like ultra warhammer lore nerds would recognize like what is the white crow supposed to be because without that context it just feels like a complete anti-climax you know i i didn't get well what i have to say to you is that uh that white crow doesn't nothing. mean a goddamn thing oh, man. Creative Assembly made him up. That, so if you remember, if you remember the the lore of the games, though, um, or the lore of I guess these three games in a row, it seems to me like Warhammer Three is actually first chronologically, then Warhammer Two, then Warhammer One. Interesting. Because okay. Dude with the White Crow shows up as a very powerful and dangerous Lord of Change, uh, at the end of that Warhammer One campaign, right? 
He's that wizard. No, he shows not, up. He transforms oh, into right. a greater daemon. That's right. He, he is a greater daemon of Zinch. He's manipulating. He's getting everyone to fight. He's doing this on purpose. Because he's trying to, I don't know, bring about the end times or whatever the hell it is that Zinch does. Yeah, because I remember the Zinch Lord being part of the Chaos Invasion. Yeah, so uh, But he wasn't the like the White Watcher. Crow. He, I think he was just a birdie boy. So, yeah, like so a lot of goes, the, the Zinch it people. It goes 3, 2, 1 in chronological order. I had not thought about that. I, I feel like it does. I think I think it makes the most sense if you arrange it that way. Well, because, yeah, uh, War, simply War because number 1, the no, campaign was our just... Chaos Invading is, is how the world ends. Yeah. So no, because like three makes sense as the final one because the whole way through the trilogy he's been serving lords and guiding them because he is compelled by the the, the tome of knowledge or whatever it's called, right. um, and so by three he's then freed himself off that. So that does feel like the end of the trilogy. Oh, maybe maybe you think of it that way. Okay. Yeah, and because the whole way with like if you're and it also escalates with one. You're, you've got you know you've got the the chaos invasion coming from the north, but you don't have really the presence of the chaos gods. And with two, it's like this race for the vortex, which is sort of like opening the way. And then with three, you actually then you've actually got full chaos. Now you have actual multiple demonic armies on in the mortal planes. Like it feels like a natural progression. Interesting. How do you guys are nerd? <laughs> this is yeah. What a surprise uh, on a strategy game podcast as well. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah, but we're <laughs> such nerds that we've gone for like an hour and 45 minutes on this. So let's. What if, what if it's all canon and all not canon and all at the same time? And what all if? In different okay, order, all Z and, that, and that's so, the real truth. Yeah. Though, right? that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the Grant Morrison way. Everything is all true. of these All of these endings are all sort of non-canon endings where your cool faction gets to win, which is very Warhammer, it's very comic books Warhammer, right? Which is that, yeah, obviously your faction gets to eat a god and win if they win because it's their book this week, right? Whereas next week, mm -hmm. when it's the Daemons of Chaos campaign, you win and become a god and the Ogres didn't win, they lost. It, there's no canonical ending here to expect, unless they decide to make the proper Warhammer, the end times, end of the world for the big combined campaign in some way Yo, here's what they're gonna do they're gonna proper, make total war warhammer the tabletop game <laughs> and that's where we'll get the canon end nailed yeah, it there you go um so final thoughts and uh overall impressions uh rowan where did you end up setting with uh warhammer 3 i mean i think it's it's largely what we expected like this has been a very good series this has resurrected Total War from the absolute dregs of the post-Rome 2 era. Uh, and this is this is a game that fits within that. It does not like dramatically reshape any any significant feeling that I had about the whole series. This is this is, you know, good series gets good sequel. Um, which is maybe a bit disappointing, especially if you thought that Warhammer 2 was a major step up from Total Warhammer 1. Which I did not, but I know some some people did. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a good time. Freezer, what about you? What are your uh, overall thoughts? I I adore it. I think it's such a fantastic game. I think it's by far the most unusual thing Creative Assembly has ever done. It feels very experimental in 
a way that feels right for the Warhammer trilogy because they it has been an incredibly experimental, weird, bold trilogy. And to introduce things in the last game with customizing your hero so you've got like an RPG protagonist and you can give him smelly wings and a tail with teeth. Fucking amazing. Inspired stuff. Like, I really want a Total War RPG now. It, I, I think that the diminishing returns of the campaign are to be expected when you have a very sort of narrative-driven campaign like this, which is very structured. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think some game, it's nice to finish games, isn't it? It's nice to play a game and be like, I've had my fill of this game, and I'll move on to something else, and maybe wait for something else to happen in the game, like Immortal or Mortal Empires. Yeah, I, I think it might... I don't want to say it's like my favourite Total War because I want the whole thing first before I decide that. But it's certainly up there. I mean, before I think it, Three Kingdoms really stole my heart and before that Warhammer 2 was absolutely phenomenal. But And, and I think this one has maybe edged them out a little bit for me. John, what about you? I think that in many ways I agree with Fraser, Fraser in that this is probably the most experimental and ambitious campaign Creative Assembly has ever attempted with a Total War game, and it is shockingly successful for all that, with not that many flaws in terms of major missteps. And it does make me not only very excited for what they're going to do with the rest of Warhammer 3 itself and, and how that grows, because we barely even touched on things like there's an eight-player cooperative campaign, and there's mm -hmm. special cooperative mini-campaigns to play with a few friends. And I've been playing through something rotten in Kislev, and it's a joy. I, I just love it. Uh, and so there's these big, sweet, cool things that they're doing that not a lot of other people would try to do. And so I'm glad, and I, I have pretty high hopes for the future of this game and for whatever they do next. I want to see them combine the lessons they learned with character-driven gameplay and personal diplomacy and army building from Three Kingdoms and then bring that forward with the same kind of ambitious campaign mechanics and uh, map rules and sort of like layered gameplay that they've made with uh, Warhammer 3. And, and I think that coming off of this, we can all be pretty excited about the future of of assembly as a studio oh yeah yeah i i think that a really good word for this is that it's a confident oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. this is this is comes out of you know six years ago like i said this was a this was a series that was like taking some first steps into doing fantasy coming off of some controversial uh critically controversial games no, you're, you're um, absolutely right in that it is a confident game there's very little in this that you can't tell was a piece of game design that someone made a decision about. Right. And I think that that's, that's really exciting. Um, but it's not quite as daring, like in the way that maybe someone might hope for, mm -hmm. but that's, that's okay. Like sometimes you just want something that accomplishes the goals that it sets out to do. It is quite daring, yeah. though, in, in many respects. Like, the, the, some I, of the stuff they've done, it, I feel it's actually quite a big risk in the way they've structured the campaign. Yeah. And it's it does, and as we've seen, just as much as we all like or appreciate a lot of different parts of the campaign, I think it has, even amongst us, there's been a bit of division and how we feel about it, and I think that speaks to just what an unusual campaign it is. 
I mean, we're it's having division again. We can't war. even agree if it's an unusual <laughs> campaign. <laughs> it's unusual for a total war. We are talking about a total like, war. This game. kind of thing is, this kind of thing is extremely common in fantasy strategy games. They just have done it better than most of them, so it feels a little more special, and that's that's good. I like that they did it, but I, I I'm not like blown away by by that that aspect of the game I, like i've gone to other worlds in age of wonders and in master of magic and yeah but you haven't yeah. done it in a way where there was a an interesting united storyline i don't think no that there were there were definitely some issues with those and that's that's why i think this is this is exciting because i am so skeptical of that 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 form but it is a form that i have seen before many times John's mention of the co-op campaigns, and I know I, I'm harming our uh, or derailing our attempt to wrap this up, but uh, I don't really give yeah, a shit. I get um, paid for this. You talk as long as you want. <laughs> so yeah, the, it it reminded me that one of the things they've added to the um it, are simultaneous turns in multiplayer, which is is fantastic. But the oh, thing that I really so love is simultaneous movement in single player. Um. And actually, just everything just moving at once, yeah, uh, and not having is to that wait. What for the things. fuck is going right. on? So it like really speeds shit up. Where because it often feels like if you're moving a character, you're almost like on a load screen, right? You're waiting for that character to move. Yeah. So for everything to just move together, oh my god, it feels so good. It really so, just so does I'm wonders gonna... for the pace of each turn. I'm go I'm going to be a little skeptical here again and say that I have had not been able to figure out why I can't actually see enemies moving um and that that explains it they just like pop up in different parts of the map instead of like oh this invading force is something that the camera goes to so Do you have it on it's, fast it's been a bit Yeah you might have that cuz I I'm, I'm talking specifically about your own units uh yeah. your own armies like you can Not, move an uh, army and then click to another army while it's still moving which is amazing exactly yeah that that's, that's what i hasn't mean. that been hasn't that been in total war for a while has I it I haven't noticed. I don't think it I think has. if you click the like next army button, then yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the next army feel... button. I'm talking about you can have multiple armies moving at exactly the same time. Yeah, by clicking on the next army button. You right click no. and then you click the next no, army button. Going to the next and I are insane, but in past Total War entries, including in this series, you have only ever been able to move a single army at once. Yeah, the next army button brings moving. you to the next army that you can move. What I'm talking about is that all of these things are moving together. But that's how you move. You can't move it together without clicking on the other one. Yes, but you can click on... How, so like, how are you doing it? Like this what, is, what we're saying this is, is not... you click on one army and you tell it to move. While that army uh -huh. is still moving across the map, in you then motion. click on you click on the next, you click click on the next army, army and button. you tell it to move. It will begin... Yes, that's been in... That's been in previous. Give me a second here. This is. It will begin moving while the first army is still moving. Previously, it had to wait for the pre for the first army to finish its move completely before it would begin moving. Yeah, I don't think we've lost our marbles, John, because I'm pretty sure even Creative Assembly sort of uh, highlighted this as a new feature. It was a major. I'm definitely not. Yeah, and it major feel, I, I would have definitely noticed this in other Total Wars because it felt game-changing, at least in terms of the speed. Well, and it also works like that in multiplayer, which maybe you'll like this and maybe yes. you won't, but like 
if you're both it's great in co-op and terrible yeah, if you're both in range of a settlement whoever clicks oh, yeah. on it first gets to attack the settlement like that's that's how it works <laughs> in multiplayer now because it's not like you're doing and there's your some turn other than waiting it's like if i'm moving uh-huh. an army it's also showing me that other players are moving their armies at the same time yeah so. yeah and there are a couple other really small improvements in the multiplayer and co-op like if you're playing competitive multiplayer uh, you can take control of NPC armies that are fighting your competitive opponents. Yes. Um, and in uh, cooperative multiplayer, you can take control of allied NPC armies that are fighting alongside your co-op ally, which is really great. It's very, very fun and interesting to be able to do that. Absolutely. Uh, it just adds a, like it adds a lot of value to bothering with alliances outside of your co-op partner in uh cooperative campaigns which is really great especially in a game with such cool uh mechanics based around allies with the outposts and stuff little quality of life stuff like that is is rife throughout and i think creative assembly was right when they said oh we're gonna add something to this that no one expected an eight player cooperative campaign is 100 percent something that absolutely no one expected yeah i i ended up really liking it overall actually i think that I was thinking, okay, so like Warhammer for for me at least, Warhammer one was like an eight, Warhammer two uh, at launch, Warhammer two was like a nine. Like personally, I was blown away by how much they were able to improve on, especially just from a technical level. Um, war- you're doing this entirely wrong. Every single Total War game Warhammer, is a seven for Warhammer one. <laughs> Might have had had a really nice chaos. Finally, I feel vindicated. Might have had a really nice chaos. <laughs> a seven. Fridge. Might have had a really nice chaos invasion that destroyed half the map. But you also have to remember, Warhammer One run, ran like shit on both the battle map and the campaign map, and Warhammer Two like completely fixed that, um, for the most part. Uh, it took a little longer with the end turn timer, but they got there. Uh, and then I was like, oh yeah, Warhammer 3, like, it's just gotta be a 10, right? Like, they've been making this game for four years, five years, or whatever, iterating. You're, you're, what is this Reddit logic? Iterating on Warhammer 2, and it's like, no, it's still, it's still a 9. I don't want to say it's a complete side grade from Warhammer 2, because they've improved a lot, especially with quality of life. Um, but it is, for me, very much an appetizer. What we have right now is... It's a very nice appetizer. It's a tasty, sumptuous appetizer. It's like endless appetizers at Applebee's. Like you're And what I have to say to that, <laughs> to cap off this two hour episode, yeah. now that we're at one uh-huh. minute, one hour and, and fifty-eight minutes, is that Lynn is fucking wrong. <laughs> and that's insane. The real game. The real game You just is... need to play this game as it is. Like if this game were released and it was a game uh... in and of itself, and that came out, it'd be a fucking it, great it game. Would. It's insanely it, good. It, it, yeah. There's no side grade about this. Wasn't it coming. is really good, but so, Immortal Empires is the real game, so that's what I'm interested in now. <laughs> Next week when someone <laughs> drops a faction unlock mod uh, and you can play as anything yeah. on this uh, Realms of Chaos map, you're going to be thrilled. You know, I would I would give that a shot if it actually like gave them faction mechanics and didn't it, just make them playable with no modifications, but yeah. Well, then it wouldn't be just a faction unlock no. mod, would it? Um, yeah. Um, so th- I I actually would say that that is a slight disappointment. That like, as someone who has Total Warhammer one and two, and like, was kind of I don't know, hoping that you could could get like Azhag yeah. or 
uh, you know, some other some other character like that. I I would like I to am, play him on this. On I this am map. sure they're going to get to it. Make. They take a while. Yeah, I'm sure they will get to it, but they're, like they're probably going to. That seems like it would units, be a really neat launch bonus for game. people who've supported the units their shit. In the game, you can fight them on the campaign map. They're in the unit browser. You have to make the mechanics work. Like it's not it's not plug and play. Nothing in programming and game design is yes, plug it and is. play. And people's you just time is copy limited. Over, You're, copy over yeah, the database or whatever just control c just add more servers that's why it took six extra months for norska to come (laughs) to warhammer 2 remake norska because (laughs) exactly Uh, there is no scenario where uh, creative assembly goes to you lad and goes okay we could release total war warhammer 3 today or we can release it in like another three months once we've put this one or two characters in that you really want to play you're not going to be like i'll wait i i know it's so going straight from mortal empires which has like the most factions of any fantasy strategy game ever probably down to like eight is like it does feel like uh, but I, I really want to see how these guys play against Mortal, Lizardmen. It's still right there. And there's Lizardmen on the map. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, but they're, they're one army in but the realm I want of Korn. To, I want to play as yeah. my orc friends. <laughs> I mean, you can play as orcs. You can ally with them and oh. recruit them. Nailed it. That's, All right. that's not the same. Oh, it, it's even better because you can have orcs in an ogre where's, army. Okay, where's the gun? I'm putting this episode <laughs> out right. of its misery. We, gotta, we do have to get going. But uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Um... This episode was produced by me. As always, 3MA is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can check out the forums if you still do forums on idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. No judgment. It's just there's hardly anyone on there. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, if you are uh, more into modern forms of communication, you can check out our super secret Discord server, which you can get access to on Patreon, patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, there's all kinds of cool perks like playing maybe some some uh, Total War Warhammer uh, co-op campaigns with us, the hosts, on uh, on there. Um, no, me, I'm way too busy. No. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> patreon.com slash 3MA, if I didn't already say that. Fan-funded. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, we're also on Twitter, at 3MA, um, where uh, you can you know ask us questions i don't know send us your takes we might you know we might uh get a chuckle out of them send me your takes uh and uh yeah so for rowan and for fraser and for john this is lynn finally saying good night my dog is pure looking at me like i can't believe you've been talking about this fucking game for two hours i need a piss you asshole